Welcome to today's Education Technology Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm Kiara Powell, and today's conversation is with Dr. Talissa Thibodeau, Assistant Professor at Lamar University, and her colleague, Dr. Dwayne Harapnik, Visiting Professor at Lamar University. How are you both today? Just wonderful. Great. I'm glad to hear it. I'm excited to talk to you both because we're going to be discussing the intersection of education and technology, especially at the university level. And this is something that I'm super interested in because I'm a recent grad myself, and it's something that I saw a lot of my professors tackle. So can you both just briefly describe to me your current roles and how you came to be involved in this type of work? Yes, this is Dr. Talissa Thibodeau speaking, and I am teaching in the Digital Learning and Leading Master's program at Lamar University. And the reason that I became interested in uh, how we use technology for teaching and learning is that I was a classroom teacher in Indiana and Florida, and I saw the wave of change happening, and I was very interested to find out what are the ways that we're using technology and to support instruction, but what are some uh, ways that we can do even more and better with that. So overall, my uh, passion is teaching and learning and using you know technology innovations as a catalyst for change. That's really what made me get involved with this program and uh, work with these amazing students that we have across the world. And I have a, a bit different of a background. Um, I've been teaching online since 1995. Uh, I was one of the pioneers of online learning up in Canada at a place called the University of Alberta. And I got involved in doing online learning because I had started to explore the research on the best learning methodologies. And I found that technology could be an amazing tool to enhance the learning environment. And so since the early 90s, I have been looking and exploring and researching and experimenting with every imaginable piece of technology to find ways to use it to enhance learning. We live in the most amazing time to be a learner. Then again, I said that back in 1995 too, but we, we do. We've got, we've got all the world's information in the palms of our hands. We're communicating today. Uh, I'm up in North Vancouver. You know, Talissa's in, in Beaumont. And I'm not sure where you're at, Kira, but again, you're in another part of the country. You know, we do this every single day. We communicate, we collaborate, we share ideas with people all over the world. And uh, it's just amazing what, what we can do. There really isn't a better thing to do than exploring how you can use technology to, to enhance the learning. So that's why I'm at the DLL program at Lamar University. We actually built the program in a really unique way to use authentic learning opportunities, and we embedded technology in all aspects of the program um, so that we could model the best ways to use technology to enhance learning. So uh, we're, we're really doing some amazing things. Yeah, I'm in Pennsylvania, so a little bit away is from both of you. Yeah, I, I joke around with uh, friends uh, up here in Canada, and I say that I, I commute on, on a daily basis. I, I go to work at Beaumont, Texas, and, and I'm up here in North Vancouver. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what, what we can do with technology. For sure. So since you're both in the industry, obviously, in the business of teaching teachers and using technology to do so, what I read about the program that you're teaching in at Lamar University is that a lot of the people that are coming to you guys are already teachers themselves, and they're just trying to learn how to integrate technology better into their classrooms. So since your students are teachers themselves, do you feel any pressure knowing that what they learn from you, they're going to use to go forward and teach their students with? 
I'll jump in. Yeah, I, actually, I, I do feel pressure, and, and I do uh, feel a bit of responsibility, and I accept the responsibility because um, we have the opportunity to prepare teachers and equip teachers who are working with our young kids, and, and, and this is our future. This is the future of our nation, uh, of our of our world, of our society, and so I think it's an enormously uh, important thing for us to do. So we we take things very very seriously. And we look at the best ways of doing things. And so we do things based on evidence, on the research. Now, there is a little bit of an out. There is a little bit of an out. There's a researcher out in New Zealand by the name of John Hattie, who's done an awful lot of research. And he's identified that the human being is the most amazing learning entity on the face of the planet. And and uh, he has shown through his research, just as long as you're not doing anything to dissuade people from learning physical, mental abuse, or being mean to kids, Almost anything you can do will help kids learn. The important thing is to find those things that will help kids learn the most efficiently and the most effectively. So there is a bit of pressure, but because of the research, the pressure's off. But at the same time, we're always looking for the best way to do things. Yeah, it's a huge responsibility. And and uh, we are equipping uh, people for the future. Now, on the flip side of this, the exciting part is, is that when our students come into our program, because they start talking about education and they start implementing the things that we are asking them to do, we use real authentic projects. So the students are actually building innovation plans. They're implementing strategies. They're implementing technologies. They're building blended learning or flipped classrooms or online uh, courses. They're building all these things. So we know that we are equipping them. So we, we feel pretty good about that. It's interesting that you take the perspective that you take because a few of the things I was sort of jotting down when you were speaking led to giving our learners those authentic learning opportunities, allowing them to have a little bit of control over their learning. Um, because when we model things, we would never ask our students to do something that we wouldn't do ourselves. So we're, we're modeling, we're sharing, but we're also encouraging students to go out and test and try some of their authentic learning uh, experiences that they've put together in their coursework, like Dr. H was talking about, the blended learning, the innovation plans, um, the things that they're doing. So we we understand that learning is a bit messy, but we encourage them to uh, be experimental, uh, have fun while they're doing it, seek after those things that they're passionate about. A lot of times you're not going to go wrong when you're looking at or looking to change or do something that you're passionate about. You're going to think about uh, everything that you need to do to make uh, those ideas happen and push your ideas forward. So we encourage over and over again, giving our learners those authentic learning opportunities, but the, the things they absolutely have to have in order to have authentic learning opportunities uh, are choice and voice in the learning process itself. Um, and, and in doing so, they take ownership. So we'll probably elaborate a bit more on that uh, in, in the next few questions. I love that you talk about this idea of experimenting and learning being messy because especially with the two of you that are working in conjunction between education and technology, things are always evolving, right? So I would assume that you both kind of have your fingers on the pulse of rapidly evolving tech in the educational field. What are some trends that you've seen lately gaining traction and what do you think about them? <laughs> it's interesting. I um, I've been following trends for a very very long time, and the reason that I that I chuckle is that um, I've I've seen a lot of trends come and go. Um, 
because I've been doing this a long, long time. And um, I joke around about the fact that the Internet and the things that we can do aren't really that much different than what I was doing back in the 80s and 90s uh, when I was on the Internet um, as a younger man. The only difference is there's a lot more people and the interfaces are graphical. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting is, is that we are seeing trends happen. But a lot of these things are actually old ideas being recycled and becoming more efficient. Um, uh, you know, the, the iPhone that all of us take for granted, well, guess what? I actually owned a Newton many, many years ago. <laughs> so, you know, um, having said that, uh, I am always looking for the next best thing. And so when we connected uh, today, uh, th we hadn't used the particular app that we are, uh, were using to communicate. And, and both Dr. Thibault and I were talking about, oh, this is, this is interesting. It's, it, this works in an interesting way. But because we experiment so much, the trends that we see, we're able to capitalize on those because quite often they aren't radically different. They might be a variation of something that we've done before. And that's one of the most exciting things about innovation. Most innovations are really an improvement or the combining or synthesis of a couple of other ideas. And so if you've been watching trends, if you've been on the leading, bleeding edge for a long, long time, you get to experiment with a lot of really, really cool things. So um, the, the trends Collaboration, social media um, is is something that is growing and is changing and it's something that is coming into our, our classrooms. We might take it for granted, Twitter feeds, YouTube, but you know what? That isn't always the case in the K-12 classroom. A lot of those resources are restricted. So some of, the, some of the trends that we see in higher ed, some of the trends that we see as you know, typical consumers, we aren't seeing those trends being realized in the classroom because of privacy and other issues. So hopefully I've answered your question a bit. Oh, yeah, you have. Talissa, did you have anything that you wanted to add? The only thing I was really thinking of was, you know, shifting from this maker space uh, that we talk about um, quite a bit. It's kind of become a popularized term in the public schools. Dr. H and I have had several conversations about this and looking at the research, we, we realized that, you know, we, we need to be cultivating a maker's mindset. And, and, and to get to that point, we talked about, you know, co-authoring a book on, on learner's mindset and what that actually um, consists of. So it's, it's about a mindset. It's not about all the technology, all the tools. It's about uh, the mindset that we have that we can change, that we can grow, be flexible, adaptable, experiment, try our ideas, try them again, revise, restructure them, um, and just uh, thinking about different ways of doing things and, and, and pulling our students in to watch us as we make these changes, these shifts, and model these things. They have to understand. We have to prepare them for the real world. So a, a makerspace is a great, great, great idea. I'm not saying if there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying let's also cultivate a maker's mindset um, and, and get our learners um, asking um, the questions. It, you know, Alan November will say in his book, and who owns the learning? Who really does own the learning if the teachers are asking all of the questions? We want our students to be generating those questions and be real-world uh, problem solvers. Uh, Talissa, that's just a, a mm -hmm. wonderful point. The, the mindset is so important. And, and actually, you, you summarize what I was trying to uh, talk about uh, in my little spiel. What we're seeing 
with the explosive growth of uh, you know social media and, and personal connectivity through a variety of devices, phones and tablets, is that more and more people are willing to explore and adopt this maker mindset or this exploratory mindset. And, and I would suggest that that's a wonderful and amazing trend. And if we can capitalize on that, we can really radically change and improve education. So I've read that both of you have been working on something that is capitalizing on some of these trends. It's called COVA. I think you touched on it a few minutes ago. Can you guys speak to that a little bit? Sure. What we've learned through um, a lot of research and a lot of practical experience is that um, when you provide learners authentic learning opportunities, those amazing learning opportunities can be best realized if you give your learners choice, ownership, and voice through that activity itself, right? And so we call that COVA, choice, ownership, and voice through authentic learning opportunities. And really, we'd love to say this is a radical new idea. It's not. It's just projects, real-world projects done correctly. And, and the reason that we emphasize uh, things like choice and ownership, the research is clear. Old research from 100 years ago, 50 years ago, people like um, Bruner, Dewey, Piaget, Papert, there's, there's a whole host of major learning theorists who have argued that the best way for people to learn is by doing something real and genuine. But if you're going to give students something real and genuine, well, guess what? That means they have to choose it. They have to have the ability to choose. And this isn't choosing between a couple of options. No, this is choosing to do something that they're passionate about. And once they choose it, they'll take ownership. And then once they've taken ownership, they're going to be excited and they'll share what they've learned or they've experienced through their voice. Now, we have to qualify here. We come alongside, we guide and direct. We don't just allow students to do these things willy-nilly and, and, and wander randomly on their own. No, we guide and direct the students uh, through these projects. So it's really just an old idea that we sort of revised and, and repackaged and provided a new terminology. Uh, Talissa, have I missed anything? I think you summed it up pretty good. How have you seen students reacting to COVA? They love it and they hate it. And <laughs> uh, Talissa, do you want to talk about the love part and then I'll share uh, out the hate part? <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, they love it to the point that, you know, they're taking the idea of COVA and they're allowing if they're we have a gamut of different types of students in the program. We have railroad workers. We have a. Uh, corporate industry trainers in the program. We have educators, higher ed folks. They're taking this and they're, they're uh, um, moving their own plans forward using COVA as their framework. So they love it because once they're given opportunities for a little bit of control over their learning, try to take that away from them. They're not going to let you have it. Dr. H calls it over my cold, dead hands. Um, so they want those opportunities. And this almost to me seems like the missing link that we've always, you know, we, people have stood up and, you know, these are the standards we need to learn. And this is what we're going to do today and fill in your notebooks and check off this list and this rubric. So that's what they're used to. So just kind of framing this for Dr. H, but that's what they're used to. So when they're given a bit of choice and voice in what they're learning and they choose those projects they're passionate about, there's just limitless possibilities. So they're taking this idea, using it as a framework for several different 
um, in several different ways. So we have a person over uh, taking the journalism department through uh, the COVA learning approach. Our honors program in digital literacy using ePortfolios are taking the COVA approach. Um, and this is just at Lamar. And we have uh, people on different campuses that are educators that are using COVA as their framework to impact their students, impact their, their campuses. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. So when students are actually taking this idea and using it as a framework on their own terms, that's when we know something is going right with this. We've modeled it and they've, they've embraced it. And they come back and they say, I don't know what I would do without COVA because this opened my doors to allow me to learn on my terms. And that, that in turn allows them some uh, room to grow. Uh, they regulate their learning and they kind of direct their own learning. It's pretty neat to watch that transition occur. And then to have it multiplied uh, throughout and, and expand its impact in other places. So, Dr. H, I guess you can address the, <laughs> the hate part of the relationship. Yeah, the, the hate <laughs> part is um, is part of partially uh, a, a factor that comes into play by the fact that in one sense, we're changing the way that traditional courses work. Most students recognize, uh, I'll read something, I'll write a paper, maybe I'll work co collaboratively on a project, you know, some meaningless project, and, and then, you know, I'll write an exam or two, and that's and then I'll get my credential. Well, with the COVA approach, um, the students have to actually come up with something that they're going to do that's real and genuine. They come up with an innovation plan that they can incorporate in their own organization. Um, that's a lot of work. It's also messy. Learning is messy. And quite often students are uncomfortable with taking the responsibility of learning because for the most part, if you had mentioned uh, that you had just finished a degree, chances are you, you probably experienced a lot of exams, you know, sitting in great halls writing exams. Well, guess what? We don't have a single exam in our program. But what we do have is students build things that are real. And when you are doing things that are real, guess what? The real world will bite you. Your innovation plan will change. The circumstances will change. Problems arise. Quite often, students aren't used to feeling uncomfortable with learning. They might, there might be test anxiety in the traditional system, but with a covert approach, you're not sure about a lot of different things. And we don't really, in our traditional educational system, we don't really prepare our students to feel uncomfortable. And that's part of learning. We also don't prepare our students to ask the necessary questions. With a COVA approach and building something that is real, our learners are required to not just ask one or two questions, but an enormous amount of questions as they explore the things that they might be able to do. So one of the things that happens is that our students are a little bit uncomfortable at first. And it also seems that our students, like our best students, your A students, they know how the system works. They, they know how to get the A. And because this is a different environment, they want to be assured that they can get, a, get an A. Once they realize that they can trust us, once they realize that if they take ownership of their project, if they take ownership of their innovation plan and their, their implementation strategy, once they realize that they can actually do something real and meaningful, and get credit for it, then things take off and they can still get the A um, and they work quite hard at it. And so if, if there is anything that we have learned in the last couple of years that we've been doing this is that our students who graduate, who've been graduating and, and who've been reflecting about, on their experience, have tried to encourage us as instructors to tell the students coming up th through the program, take 
ownership sooner. <laughs> take ownership sooner. You know, because once you take that ownership uh, and take that responsibility for your learning, everything just opens up. But it's not easy because we don't normally do that. You know, um, our educational system is pretty standardized. So I just have to say one thing about what you just shared, Dr. H, which is a great, great uh, overview there. What prepares learners best? Is it that exam they're taking, answering those questions, one, one test, one day type of thing? Or is it going through an experience where they've had to make key decisions, where they've had to influence other people, they've had to lead organizational change, they've had to leverage technology um, as a catalyst for uh, moving things forward as a catalyst for change? What actually prepares people better? I mean, I think that the answer is pretty clear. What do you all think? Oh, listen. Oh, definitely experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you know my response. It, I, I agree. It's the experience. Um, the, the challenge that we do face is that um, we don't do enough of this. But Talissa and I are working to change that. Well, that's great to hear. I was going to say, when you were talking about your A students that are kind of interested in learning in a new way, but they want to know that they're guaranteed to get that credit, that was definitely me when I was in school. Am I going to get an A in this class? Like, that's the most important thing. And I like that you guys are taking that into consideration, in addition to forcing them to, like you said, take everything into their own hands. Now, you say you've been at COVA for a couple of years, and you've gotten a lot of great feedback about it. Is this something that you continue to tweak and change as your students tell you, you know, their experience with the program, or is it kind of good as is for right now? Oh, um, I, I got to go on this one. I hope you don't mind, Talissa. Uh, we're constantly improving, <laughs> revising. Um, earlier on this morning, I was just uh, editing some videos on the COVA approach. We are continually revising our approach nonstop. And the reason that we are is that the more we apply this in the classroom, the more that we learn from our learners and, and the more significant changes we can make. Now, you had mentioned this has been going on for a couple of years. Actually, um, elements of the COVA approach have been something that I've been using for almost 25, almost 30 years. And a lot of our core ideas, authentic learning environments, student-centered learning, real-world projects, that goes back to, you know, 100 years ago to people like John Dewey. So these aren't new ideas. <laughs> I, we, we'd love to say that we came up with these wonderful ideas, but we didn't. You know, like we had mentioned, researchers like Dewey, Piaget, Bruner, Papert, um, David Jonathan back in the 90s, you know, have talked about creating these learning environments where you use authentic learning experiences. You know, in education, we use the rhetoric of Dewey, which is all about student-centered learning, individualized instruction, and, you know, modeling and, and giving students the ownership. But the reality is we've got a standardized system of education. So these ideas that we have, what we've done or what I've done over the last almost 25 years uh, prior to coming to Lamar, where we really implemented the COA program, was I kept on refining, revising, refining. But with a digital learning and leading program at Lamar, Dr. Thibodeau and I really were able to formalize all the aspects of the COVID approach. We just recently released a, a new book, an ebook, um, last month um, on, on the COVID approach. And we're working on many more articles. We've got several more articles that we're going to be publishing. We've mentioned another book on the uh, learner's mindset that we're working on. So we never stop. And the reason that we never stop is that the world is ever changing and we're always learning and we can always improve and, and, and um, you know, model the fact that we're lifelong learners to our learners. 
right? One of the most important things I think that Tillis had mentioned is that we model this to our learners. We ask our learners to create an e-portfolio. Well, guess what? Both Dr. Thibault and I have been using e-portfolios for a long time. You know, there isn't anything we ask our learners to do that we wouldn't do ourselves. And and because we're continually learning and revising, it's easy for us to tell our learners, guess what? Your innovation plan, you know, your measurement strategy, that professional development strategy that you built, guess what? When you go to implement it, you're going to have to revise it. You're going to have to continually change it. We use the terminology of iterations. You're going to be continually iterating your work. And so, you know, we model the fact that we're lifelong learners so that we want our learners to be uh, comfortable with that idea. He hit on two of the things I was going to say, but you can find all of our research, our ebook, uh, student examples, uh, stuff about our course on both of our website at uh, www.talisatibido.com and www.harapnik.org. So that lists all of our publications that are OER and some of the work that we've been following and the things that we've been doing, the places we've been presenting. And it's just kind of a, I kind of have it summed up in a compilation of everything that that we've been talking about. So you can find more information there if you take a look. Well, actually, Talissa mentioned OER. Um, we take this so seriously that even our book, our, our COVID ebook right now, we are giving it away or we're making it available for free because this first iteration of the book, we're looking for feedback from the people who are downloading it and using it. And then we're going to revise it and update it. Because the book is really not necessarily about us. It's about how, you know, the approach can be most effectively used by uh, the people who are using it. So we, we, we try to walk the, walk the talk as far as we can. <laughs> it definitely sounds like it for sure. So beyond COVA, is there anything else that you guys are kind of working on? Are there any ideas or thought processes generally that you've got coming down the pipe at the intersection of education and tech? Well, I, I can jump in real quick. Uh, in our evaluation of our students, both uh, Talissa and I use uh, video feedback, and we call it feed forward. And so um, we don't write comments on students' work. We actually create a video and provide feedback, and we point to different things, and we encourage our students to build on a solid foundation. Um, our goal as instructors is to help our students be successful and implement their strategies and implement their ideas. And so we're always looking for ways that they can improve their work, and it's our responsibility to help them. So we've been using video feedback for quite a while. Um, I've been using audio feedback and video feedback for many, many years. It's just gotten really, really easy to do in the last four or five years. So we're going to be working on a couple of research articles um, on that and taking a look at uh, how our students feel about that. And we're, we're taking a look at how important is it to have our head in the in the video screen and a variety of other things and so we're starting to do more research on some of the very specific little things that we do within the constructive approaches that we implement so um, there's a lot of things that are happening we're also taking a look at the COVA approach from the perspective of threshold concepts so choice ownership and voice through authentic learning well those terms are just packed full of meaning and and the notion of threshold concepts is that if we can help our learners and, and our students understand those key terms and also the term COVA well then once they understand things in a certain way it takes them uh, over a certain threshold of misunderstanding and so we're, we're working on some research uh, on that as well so yeah we've got a lot of things that we're working on <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing I would add to that is in, in listening to you speak, Dr. H, and reflecting on this conversation, 
I think it's evident that we focus on the learner and the learning. Our focus is not specifically on the technology skills um, or just the technology itself. Oh, you know, iPads, how are we going to integrate that? Our focus really is on the learner. And then the technology innovations are sort of used as a support to the learning process. So we take a look at a variety of things. We look at the, the role of the mentor, the faculty uh, guide, the role of the infrastructure, the role of technology, online learning uh, beyond brick and mortar. And so we take a look at everything and, and we really try to focus um, on the learner at the heart of our instruction and everything that we do and what grows their passion. Technology is really a support to that. And if I may just add one thing, and see, I've been at this a long time, and so I, I sort of take it for granted that the best technology is a technology that disappears. Um, but having said that, we uh, our, our DLL program is technology rich. Our students are, are using every imaginable technology tool, every imaginable presentation tool. They're creating videos, prezies. All of our communication is done electronically. Um, all the work is done and presented electronically. Um, our students are truly paperless. Um, they experiment and explore all forms of technology because it's part of their responsibility to incorporate that into their classrooms or into their learning environments. And we expose our students to a variety of different tools and encourage them to try different tools as they go along. And so one of the things that we do hear from our, our graduates um, is that even though um, we don't emphasize the use of technology. They've never used more technology in any type of aspect of their lives. Because if you focus on the learning and create the right type of a learning environment, well, then guess what? Technology becomes your tool to enable you to do all those amazing things. And then you're only limited by your imagination. So good point, Talissa. Thank you both. I think that's a great place to end. If either of you don't have anything else that you'd like well, to we add. We want to thank you for the opportunity to, to uh, share our ideas and uh, thank you so much for the wonderful questions. Thank you. This has been a great conversation with Dr. Talissa Thibodeau and Dr. Duane Harapnik. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, please visit marketscale.com slash industries. And don't forget to subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts about your favorite industries. For MarketScale, I'm Kiara Powell.